This morning we are closing our series on the life of Joseph. If you've been with us, then you know we've been for the last couple of months studying Joseph, a man in the Old Testament who was the son of a man named Jacob, who would later be known as Israel, uh, the nation of Israel. And, uh, and Joseph was one of his 12 sons. And what we've seen and tried to trace is how God has worked in the life of Joseph and what we can learn as a result of that. We know that God never changes. We know that he is the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we look back even to an ancient text like Genesis, we know that there are great things to learn from that and to be still applied in our lives today because that God who worked in the life of Joseph is the same God that we serve. And that's been the goal through this series. How is God transforming us just in the same way that he did Joseph? So what we've seen and, and sort of given an overview of, uh, there are much more, uh, obviously, that we could study and dive into in the life of Joseph than what we've done. But we've sort of gotten an overview look at his life. The beginning of the story of Joseph, Joseph is in uh, Genesis 37. And it begins with his being favored by his father and hated as a result by ten of his brothers. Joseph was the second youngest, and to be favored by the father was really only for the oldest child. And so Joseph then bore the wrath and and all that came with the jealousy of his brothers. He is uh, thrown into a pit while they have a meal to discuss his fate. Eventually he is sold into slavery. He rises to prominence in the, the home of his master only to be accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Wrongfully accused, he's then wrongfully imprisoned. You may know the story. And thrown into prison and spends years there paying for something he didn't do. Being the man that he was and having the Lord's presence in his life, he rises again to prominence and leadership within the prison, uh, only to be eventually forgotten by those who could have held the keys to his exit. A couple of years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream. And all of a sudden, the two guys, or one of the guys rather, who had been with Joseph in prison and attending now to Pharaoh, remembers there was a guy who helped me in prison. Maybe he can help Pharaoh with this same issue. Pharaoh had a dream, didn't know what to do about it. Joseph interprets the dream, and as we saw, as we saw in the last couple of weeks, Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream means. There's seven great years of harvest coming. But the bad news is that following that will be seven years of absolute desolation. And so he tells the king, this is what you need to do. You need to gather up all that you can in those seven years of harvest so that you'll have enough to last all the people through the seven years of famine. His plan seems pretty good to the king, so good that the king says to Joseph, hey, it's your idea, why don't you make it happen? You ever been there? You come up with a great idea, and you're just thinking, well, you know, that was just a good idea, let me just kind of step out of the way. You know, that's how you volunteer for things in church, right? Isn't it true? I've got a, I have a wonderful idea. All right, well... You take that on. Anyway, that's what happens to Joseph, okay? Now everybody's going to be scared to throw good ideas out, all right? <clears throat> but Joseph gets this great responsibility, and praise God that he does. Here's a godly man now leading this particular country, and he leads them through all the years of harvest, storing everything up, and then through the years of famine, he saves the country. He preserves his own family line, which, of course, was in the plan of God because the nation of Israel were God's chosen people. His, his promised seed, the Messiah, would come through the and Joseph plays a tremendous role in ensuring that all of that happens. And then we get to chapter 50, which sort of rounds everything out. In the first 14 verses of chapter 50, what happens 
uh, is Jacob, the, the patriarch of the family, dies. Well, maybe you can relate to this in some way. Maybe you have figured that someone is, is just being nice because another person is around. Maybe you've experienced that before. And you figure, well, once that other person is out of the picture or out of the conversation, I'm really going to get from this person what they think of me or what I may deserve from them. Well, that's sort of what happens to Joseph's brothers. Their dad dies, and they assume that Joseph has just been being nice to them because dad was still around. And out of respect to dad, he wouldn't do to the brothers what they figured they deserved. And so the, the point where we'll pick up the story today is really uh, where we began the series several weeks ago. We're going to sort of end where we began. If you were here in the very first week, I told you that I want to preach my own funeral. Now, I, I had someone ask me this morning how many funerals I, I've preached since I've been here at Elm Grove, and, and unfortunately with, with preaching one tomorrow, it will make somewhere around 15 or so funerals. Funerals are not easy to do, but, but when Jesus can be glorified through them, they are a celebration not only of life, but a celebration of, of life eternal. And, and I want, at my funeral, to be able to celebrate those things. And what I want to be able to say, if you remember, if you were here, is what Joseph will say in the verses that we'll see this morning. As he looks back over his life in this episode of pain and hurt and turmoil with his brothers, he's able to look back with God's perspective and say to them what I would love to be able to say at my own funeral. And let's read these verses together in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. We'll just read a few short verses this morning. I've tried to give you the, the catch-up to the story, the little bit of the background. And here's what happens after Jacob's death, verse 15 of Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the wrong we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, Please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the wrong they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What an incredible statement. That's the statement that I told you at the very beginning. I'd love to be able to preach at my own funeral. All the stuff that happened, I see God doing good in and through and in spite of all of it. You can look back at my life and say, praise God, even for that junk. A tremendous statement. These brothers obviously come to him and, and they've got good reason to be a little afraid. And Joseph just calms it all. Let me give you something to remember this morning. Just a principle that, that you can take from here. This is not a bumper sticker kind of theology that you just live by sayings. That's not what I'm trying to get you. But I really think if you'd understand and really live out this principle and, and believe it, uh, begin with believing it, that it would make a tremendous difference in your life, probably change your life in ways that you can't really imagine. To remember that God is, is weaving everything in my life for good. God is weaving everything in my life for good. 
And that word weaving, I'll come back to a little bit later, but just get that mind picture inside of your head right now. God is weaving everything in my life for good. Now, if you're human this morning, some of you are even awake and human, that's good. <clears throat> if you're human this morning, which I, I guess depends on who you're sitting next to, is how debatable that might be, but, but if you are, then you might immediately think, well, yeah, that sounds good. Well, you don't know my life. I mean, you really don't know. And you're probably right. I, I don't. I usually get about 10 or 15 seconds with each of you as you walk out the door. I don't know everything. But I, I want to show you this morning uh, from what Joseph did in the midst of a painful circumstance. Fast forward that to what Jesus did in his uh, moment of trial and crucifixion. And then give us a pledge to sign as a result of those two examples Something we can walk away with and say, you know what, I will believe and I will live out that God is weaving everything in my life for good. I want to first look at what Joseph did in this particular episode with his brothers that we can learn from and take as an example. Now, you won't find this on the back of your bulletin. This is kind of in between. So if you want to make a note of this, I'd love for you to. I think it would be very helpful, or maybe just in the margin of your Bible. The first thing Joseph did was he left the writing of wrongs to God, writing, R-I-G-H-T, the writing of wrongs to God. He left it all to God. Verses 16 to 18 in Genesis 50. The brothers, uh, they, notice in verse uh, 15, you, you see here, uh, they say to one another, what if now because dad's gone, Joseph does to us what we really deserve? And so they send a, a, an emotional plea to Joseph. Look, here's what dad said. Dad said, leave us alone, please. Dad said, please don't do anything to us. Uh, Dad said uh, that you should forgive us. Uh, and oh, by the way, we are your slaves. I mean, just uh, think about it. You know, there they write this, you know, they, they come up with this elaborate thing. They're going to. Now, now, Jacob had already told Joseph that he shouldn't hold the you know, brother's sins against him anymore. But, but just think of these brothers. Here they come to their youngest brother Joseph, please don't kill us. Seriously. We would like to live. And uh, even if we're your slaves, please, uh, Dad said uh, that you're to forgive us. Uh, they had good reason, obviously. Uh, they, they note their crimes. They say, look, we, we've, we've sinned and we've transgressed and they're remorseful. I really believe that, that you see here, uh, the brothers are not just trying to play Joseph. I really believe that they've come to the realization they had sinned, they've, they've repented, and now they're, just, they're fearful because they, they want to make sure that nothing is going to happen to them. Maybe thinking Joseph had just held off because of dad. You know what's interesting in this story? The brothers never get punished for what they did. Think about it. Now, if it just in and of itself, if you let that truth sink in, then it may change the way that you operate just a tad. Genesis never takes time to explain how the brothers were punished for what they did to Joseph. We never get that. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not vindication and justice for Joseph. The point of the was that God was weaving everything in his life for good. The story's about God, not about Joseph and his vindication. Now that's hard for us because if truth be told, if you and I are writing this story, what are we going to include sort of as a postscript? By the way, in the epilogue, here's what happened to the brothers. Here's the rest of the story, just for those who need closure. You with me on closure? Just for those who need closure, let me tell you what happened to the brothers. Wouldn't it be great? Not in there. 
I don't know if anything ever really happened to the brothers. All I know is what's in the Scripture. But I do know this, that Joseph could have done something right then. He could have taken a self-righteous attitude and said, well, you know what? It doesn't seem as if you guys have, have, uh, have, have faced any sort of punishment here. I've got some things in mind. He said, you'll be my slaves. Okay. Not only that, but you're going to do this, 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 and this. You just picture the scene for just a second. Joseph was the victim. Joseph, it seems in the story, was genuinely innocent throughout. And yet he's the victim, and those who hurt him and wronged him don't seem to have to pay for their crimes. You been there? You got somebody in mind right now? Somebody who's never had to pay for what they did to you? Revenge could have easily been masked right here by Joseph sort of adopting a, the role of, of, of God's instrument of justice. Well, he was in position to do that. He could have just said, well, uh, you know, God hasn't done anything, and, and he's put me in this position. Maybe God wants me to do something to bring justice here. But he doesn't take the easy way out. Joseph does not take the easy way out. I think he's to be admired, and, and we are to model what he did. What does he say instead? Verse 19. Actually, verse 20, excuse me. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. And the, and the, the, the question is amazing. Am I in the place of God? Joseph acknowledged here that he's not in control. He's, he's not the one that they answer to. The righting of wrongs was not up to him, but it was up to God. He left the righting of wrongs to God refusing to play God in their lives, though he was certainly in position to do it. And from our perspective and the perspective of those in the Egyptian court, he would have been justified in doing whatever he wanted to do. But he refuses to play God in their lives. It's almost as, as if he's asking, how, how can I act for God? I'm not him. I'm not going to do whatever I think God should do because God has not done it, so I'm not going to do it either. I'm not God. I, I can't punish you. That's not my role to take. It's not for me to play God. In a sense, he directs their repentance toward God. In my role as, as a pastor, um, it, it's always interesting to see what people will apologize to me for. I don't know if they feel as if I'm maybe their, their, their priest, you know, their go-between. But, uh, but this is, it's really has been a, an ongoing thing for a long period of time. Um, I think the favorite uh, that people will apologize to me for is, is, uh, is their language. It's always interesting to me. Um, and it, this has been the case. You know, I, I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old. Um, I was, uh, was saved from my sins then, and the Lord uh, has, uh, has worked in my life since that point. And so it's been interesting to trace how this has happened on different baseball teams or whatever. And so I will go into situations... Um, where people don't know I'm a pastor. And I'm not sure if I should tell them or not, you know. And so I'll go into situations. I had one not long ago where I was with some people, and, and, uh, and they, they were carrying on, and, and, uh, and, uh, and it, the language was a little uh, spicy. And so, uh, you know, I, I was just, here I am, you know. And finally, one of them turned to me and said, so what do you do? What? I said, I said, well, um, I said, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pastor a church out uh, on Highway 94. Uh, oh, 
And immediately he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for my language. I, you know, I get a little carried away sometimes. And I just, you know, and I, it's, so, it's funny to me. I'm sure it's not funny to them. I mean, they're just, I don't know what kind of conviction they're experiencing, but it's something. And, uh, and so I just, I will look at them and I say, you know what, I, I appreciate that, but, but you don't answer me. You don't answer me. I, you know, I, I appreciate that respect. It's probably just for the position of pastor. What, you know how people operate, but, but I say, you don't, you don't answer to me. I'm not God. You don't, you don't answer to me. And I think Joseph is sort of doing the same thing. He said, look, I'm, I'm not God. I'm not the one you need to repent before. Certainly, yeah, you need my forgiveness, but ultimately you need to turn to God. And in some way, I don't know if you think somehow that if maybe I'm okay with you, <laughs> that you're okay with God. Um, that I'm glad I can be okay with you, but regardless of whether I'm okay with you or not, if you've not repented before the Lord and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if we get along, in all honesty. I love you, and I hope you love me too, but it doesn't really matter if you're not right with God. You don't answer to me. Th these brothers didn't ultimately answer to Joseph. He says, I'm not God. I'm not in his place. It's God's forgiveness that they needed. God was the one they ultimately must fear and must please. Only God. Joseph has a very clear picture of who God is and who Joseph is not. He leaves the righting of the wrongs to God alone. Secondly, he, he saw God's work, God's control, and God's goodness in every situation, even in the evil stuff that happened and was done to him. Verse 20, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. This really is the key verse in the whole story of Joseph. And maybe in the whole story of Genesis. The key verse. You planned evil. You did what was wrong. But God trumped it all. God wove it all together for good. God took all the junk that Joseph's brothers did to him. Joseph saw it. He experienced it. He knew it. He didn't deny that it happened. He didn't pretend like it wasn't painful. But he said, you planned evil, but God planned it for good. He saw God's work, God's control, God's goodness in every situation. Not just in the good stuff, but even in the rotten, most awful, painful moments of his life, he's able to look back and say, God even planned that. God even wove that for good. Only God can do that. Only God can take all the evil, the jealousy, the hatred, the negativity, the pain, the abandonment, the hopelessness, the slavery, the imprisonment, and all the rejection that Joseph faced. Only God can take that and turn it into something good. You ever tried? You ever just frustrated yourself trying to figure out how I can make all this good? Can't do it. Only God can do that. If Joseph would have attempted that, he would have probably fallen into sin, being a manipulator. And he certainly would have failed to bring about the best result. No way Joseph could have painted the picture that God painted. No way he could have woven together what God wove together. And in this statement, we see God's sovereignty, His love, His mercy, His justice, His faithfulness, His goodness, all of it revealed in this little statement. You planned it for evil, but God planned it for good. Thirdly, Joseph repaid the evil of his brothers, not only with forgiveness but with practical affection. This is the hard part. Not only did he forgive them, but he also took care of them. Look at verse 21. Therefore, 
since God is, is obviously in control, he says, therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, if you reverse just a little bit, kind of go back. Now, I'm, uh, don't turn there, but let me just draw your mind back to Genesis chapter 37. Do you know what was said about the brothers and Joseph and their words to him? They could not do what? Speak kindly to him. Isn't that interesting how it ties all together? They couldn't speak kindly to him just because he was favored by their father. They do all this stuff to him, and what happens at the end? He speaks kindly to them. Does that not strike you? I mean, it's just amazing to me to see that tie in together. <laughs> After all Joseph went through, who has the right, it seems? Who has the reason to not speak kindly? Well, it's not the brothers, just because dad liked this one more. I mean, you know, it's Joseph. And yet he speaks kindly to them. He comforted them. I'll take care of you, he says. Not only you, but your families. I'll, I'll take care of you. You don't have anything to worry about. I'm not going to take revenge. You've been forgiven. It's no longer held against you. Yes, what you did was wrong. Yes, you're responsible for it. But you're forgiven. Joseph knew God's grace. Over and over the story says the Lord was with Joseph. He knew God's grace and God's forgiveness even in his own life. And as a result, he had no choice but to extend that to other people. I've said it before, and, and I really believe that it's true. Those who have received the grace of God have no right to be graceless people. Those who have received the grace of God have no right to be graceless people. Those who have been forgiven must freely forgive. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. But if you fast forward to the connection we see with the life of Jesus then it'll make a little bit more sense. If you got your Bible handy, I want you to, to mark a few scriptures. And maybe you'll connect these to Joseph and just sort of draw a line out from these different scriptures and put Genesis 50. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. The connection with Jesus here is stark and it is absolute. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, don't worry about it. We'll put these words on the screen behind me. Look what it says here. Genesis chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. What we have here is Jesus praying in the garden. The garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be betrayed, handed over to be crucified. Going a little further, this is after he's told his disciples, stay here and pray. He fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Even Jesus submits to the will of God the Father in this moment, refuses to get outside of God's plan, understanding God is weaving all of this together for good. Just like when Joseph stands before the brothers and says, Am I in the place of God? We see Jesus put an exclamation point on that, praying to the Father, saying, If this can be avoided, by all means, I would rather avoid it. I don't want to be separated from you, but not as I will, but as you will. And then if you go forward just a few verses, we see Jesus here mirroring and putting an exclamation point on Joseph's refusal to play God, on his seeing the hand of God in everything. And we see in verse 52 of Matthew 26 where, where uh, one of the people with Joseph has just sliced off the ear of a man trying to keep Jesus from being betrayed and, and, and crucified and so on. Then Jesus told him, 
Verse 52, put your sword back in place because all who take up a sword will perish by a sword. And then verse 53, or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? (laughs) He said, look, do you think I can't stop this? Just call on my father. He'll just say, it's over. You think 12 legions of angels couldn't take out a few soldiers from the Sanhedrin? A few guys with you know, maybe little clubs and swords and a few torches? Be over in a heartbeat. Jesus says, no, no. Even this is something God is weaving. It's, I've got to go through it. I, it cannot be stopped at this point. God is going to use this to bring about the salvation of the world. And then on the cross, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We've seen Joseph refuse to play God. We've seen him see the hand of God in everything. We've seen him forgive. We've seen now Jesus uh, submitting to the will of the Father. We've seen him saying, you know what? I've got to go through this. God is working here. And then on the cross, Luke 23, verse 34. To me, one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, even on the cross, looking out at those people and looking down through history, saying, forgive them, as He's hanging on the cross. God is weaving everything in my life for good. We see it in the life of Joseph. We see Jesus put the exclamation point on it. We see God using even the darkest moment, it seems in history, the crucifixion of God's only Son to bring about salvation, weaving it all together for good, even when those who were around Him thought there's no more hope. He's dead and gone. And three days later, the weaving of God is seen. Jesus, raised from the dead, offering salvation. What do you do with that kind of truth? What do you do with the example of Joseph, the life of Jesus that brings such a challenge? I want to give you, as you'll see on the back of your bulletin, a pledge to sign. I'm not going to collect this. I'm not going to take your names down and and come around and, and hunt you down. This is between you and the Lord. And you may feel a little silly doing this, and that's okay. You're the only one who has to see it. What do you do as a result of this particular truth? First thing, I will not attempt to play God. I will not attempt to play God. Why? Because I'm not him. You see Joseph saying, am I in the place of God? No, 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 no. You you got this all wrong. I am not the one. You answer to. Jesus says, Father, your will be done. The truth is that those who take their own revenge put themselves in the place of God. You may say, no, I'm I'm just evening the score. It's just, you know, an eye for an eye. Those who take revenge for themselves put themselves in the place of God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul's writing here and he says, Friends, Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for His wrath. For it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. God's talking there, not Paul. God is talking. I will repay. 
yeah, but. No, 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 yeah, but. God says, do not take your own vengeance. Don't try to even the score. That's my role. I'll take care of it. You say, yeah, but God, no, no. Yeah, but God, you're not, you haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, but God, they still haven't paid for what they did. God, you, nobody even knows what they did to me. I will repay, says the Lord. I wonder how much of our relational trouble comes from our attempts to play God. Think about that. You know, in our, our bad moments, we, we imagine what we might do if we were God for a day. <laughs> Man, I'd make it all right. If I could just be God for one day. I tell you, that person and this person, they, they, they'd know what they did. That's at our bad moments. At our worst moments, we, we throw it in God's face and we say, Lord, you don't have the first clue what you're doing. Been there? You ever said that prayer to God? God, do you, I don't think you really know what's going on. Because if you did, you would, and you fill in the blank. I think if we're honest, the overwhelming majority, if not every person here, would have to say, you know what, I've said that. <laughs> I've prayed that before. The temptation to play God and to right the wrongs that have been done to you will be strong, trust me, particularly after hearing this sermon. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, a month from now, whenever it may be, that temptation will come. And you will have to say, no, no, no. On March 18th, 2012, at Elm Grove Baptist Church, I signed a pledge to the Lord Himself that I will not attempt to play God. Refuse to play God. Leave the righting of the wrongs to Him. Secondly, I will trust God's control and His goodness. I will trust God's control and His goodness. Why? Because He is in control. <laughs> and He is good. And as a result, I can trust Him. God's goodness and His control were seen by Joseph in every issue that he faced. He could say, you planned it for evil, but God planned it for good. That word planned there can also mean weave. You, you, you planned it, you wove it for evil, but God wove it for good. I remember... When I was younger and in home economics class, which may be sort of a practical living kind of class for those who are in school these days, maybe you had to do this as well. I remember we had to make potholders. I'm not crafty at all. I mean, I'm just not. And, and I remember we had this little square loom. Th I think they called it a loom. I don't know what it was called. But anyway, it was a square thing with little pegs on it. And, and, and we had to make potholders. And I guess it was going to be a present to mom or somebody, you know, I don't know what it was. But here we go, and we have all these different things, and there's like this kit and a plastic loom, and you have to weave them together and then pull them all through and try to make it tight, you know, and mine would want just like, don't use that. You know, I mean, that's just, it's decoration, mom, don't use it, you know, on anything that's hot. Because um, I can't, I, it's not guaranteed, you know, I can't, I can't guarantee you won't burn yourself. But you know, when I was, when I was thinking about this and, and, and reading about the idea that God you know, planned, God wove it all together. It sort of reminded me of, of our lives, sort of like those little potholders, except God makes it perfect, by the way. But God takes those dark threads and the ones that we like a little better, and he puts them all in the loom, and he tightens them all up, and he weaves them all together, and there's an incredible, useful, and beautiful thing that comes as a result of your life just as a potholder. And maybe if you think of that, how God weaves it all together. He does the same thing in each and every one of our lives, the good threads, the bad threads. 
He takes those threads of abuse, of abandonment, of divorce, of pain, of financial hardship, of the death of a loved one, of rejection, of loneliness, of hard times. He takes all those threads and he weaves them all together in only a way that he can and produces something that's much like that potholder. In the end, something useful, something good, something beneficial. Our response to this God who is in control and who is good is is nothing less than total submission to Him. Absolute submission, total contentment, self-abandonment to be overwhelmed by His presence in our lives. You say, do I need to go to church more? I have no idea. Do I need to just read my Bible every day? Probably so. But let me tell you what you need to do more than any of that stuff. Abandon yourself to Jesus Christ. To let Him overwhelm you with His presence and His life in and through you. I will trust God's control and His goodness through submission, through contempt, through abandoning myself to Him. Knowing that God is working all things, weaving all things together for good. Thirdly, I will praise God in all I face. I will praise God in all I face. You're going to have to sign this in just a minute. So don't write down praise if, you, you know, if you're not willing to sign that part. I will praise God in all I face. Why? Because I can. Because I can. The words of Joseph from, from Genesis 50 verse 20 form his testimony to his brothers, but in some way it forms a praise to God. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God wove it together for good. I really believe that to be able to, to praise God in every circumstance is one of the high marks of spiritual maturity. Psalm chapter 34, verse 1, says that His praise, your praise will continually be on my lips. I will praise the Lord at all times. All times, yes, that's exactly what it says. You know in the Hebrew what it means? All times. Aren't you impressed? It really does mean I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Take that one to heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, another powerful, powerful verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.18, maybe you want to write down the reference somewhere. You guys, get that one on the screen. I want to see this one. Give thanks in everything. I will praise the Lord, what, at all times. Give thanks in everything. Why? For this is God's will. You want to know God's will for your life? That's included. Give thanks in everything. When was the last time that you stood back, you looked at all the rotten stuff in your life, and you praised God even in that? You want to talk about a change. (laughs) You want to talk about something that happens in your heart. When you praise God in everything, when you give thanks in everything, there's something that happens, and it's called transformation. The Holy Spirit begins to work. What's interesting, there's a passage of Scripture, and I won't go there, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And you know what it says they do? Some of you will know this story. They're in prison, and it's late at night, and they are what? Moaning and groaning about how awful they have it. It says they are praising God and singing hymns. And you know what happens next? 
The walls start to shake. The ground shakes. God does something only God can do. They are set free, literally set free from that prison. But let me tell you this. I believe that had no earthquake even come, they were still free. They praised God in the midst of their chains and their hardship. I will praise God in all I face because I can. And finally, I will repay evil with good because Jesus did it for me. Joseph told his brothers not to be afraid. They've been forgiven. He'll take care of them and their families. He spoke kindly to them, comforted them. This whole episode, he says, has been settled by the grace of God. I've received it, so I offer it to you. I just pass along what God has done for me. We look at that and we, we think that's just impossible. I mean, Joseph has got to be something a little different than me. And it is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. To repay evil with good is impossible on your own. But when we see what Jesus did for us, when He becomes our life, we learn that it's not only possible, but it's commanded, and it's completely freeing to live that way. We see what God has done for us. Psalm 103, verse 10, talks about how we are not treated according to what our sins deserve. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God in Jesus is not holding our sins against us, but has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And our response to that is in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for His wrath, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. <laughs> Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. We're going to close our, our time this morning a little differently. So just letting you know. In just a moment, Captain Morris is going to come and, and sing a song that will close out this entire series. And here's what I'd like for you to do. The words of the song will, will be on the screen. And, and I would like for you to use this time as our time of response. You might call it an invitation, time of invitation. Uh, we will not stand together today and sing a closing song. We'll let this close our time. And I'd like for you to listen to the words, to read the words as they come on the screen. Consider what response you need to have this morning, that God is calling you to this morning. Perhaps it's surrender of your life to Jesus for the very first time. And you realize all this junk that's been going on in your life is God getting your attention to say, hey, hey, I'm here, and you need to know me, and you need to surrender to me. Or maybe you just say, you know what, God, I, I'm going to look at this pledge, and I'm going to remember that you've, that you've woven everything in my life for good. And maybe during the song, that's when you'd sign that pledge. Only for you and God. I'm not going to collect them at the door. Maybe during the song you'd just pray. Maybe you'd repent. Maybe you'd just listen. Listen for the voice of God in the words of this particular song. Let's pray together real quick, and then Kathy will come and sing, and then Ronnie Hubbard will close us in prayer after that's over. Heavenly Father, we are uh, 
we're in need of seeing how you're weaving things together. And Lord, more than that, we're, we're just in need of you today. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that you've shown us in the life of Joseph what you're all about. We thank you that you're in control, that you are good, that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you never change. So God, through our tears and our pain, we, we pray that we would see you and trust you even more. In Jesus' name.